I would like to request Kaiser uh, Nadeem Sahib to come and recite a portion from the Holy Quran. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Assalamu warahmatullah. A'uzu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wal'asri innal insana lafi khusr illa allazina amanu wa'amilu وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ The verses I have recited before you are from Surah Al-Asr, chapter 103 of the Holy Quran. And the translation is as follows. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. By the fleeting time, surely man is in a state of loss. Except those who believe and do good works and exhort one another to accept truth and exhort one another to be steadfast. یہ سورت جو آپ کے سامنے میں نے تلاوت کی ہے یہ سورت العصر ہے جو کہ سورت ایک سو تین ہے قرآن مجید کی اور اس کا ترجمہ فرمودہ حضر خلیفت المسیح الرابع رحمہ اللہ تعالی ایسے ہے اللہ کے نام کے ساتھ جو بے انتہا رحم کرنے والا بن مانگے دینے والا اور بار بار رحم کرنے والا ہے زمانے کی قسم یقیناً انسان ایک بڑے گھاٹے میں ہے سوائے ان لوگوں کے جو ایمان لائے اور نیک عمال بجا لائے اور حق پر قائم رہتے ہوئے ایک دوسرے کو حق کی نصیحت کی اور صبر پر قائم رہتے ہوئے ایک دوسرے کو صبر کی نصیحت کی جزاکم اللہ تعالیٰ سنجھا فران صاحب میں دوستوں کو آگے آنے کیلئے ذرا کہہ دیں تاکہ پیچھے جگہ ہو جائے امیر صاحب نے مینشن پلیس کم فورڈ سو دیکھ ویکن ہیو مور سپیس Again, those of uh, you who are outside, uh, there is space in the mosque, uh, in the main hall, as well as in the mezzanine floor. Uh, if you wish uh, to join us inside the mosque, you're most welcome to do so. As uh, uh, announced a uh, few moments ago, the, we are having a very special edition uh, at this year's Jassa. This is a special question and answer session with the respected guests whose names I have already announced who are very well known to you. And the topic is culture and religion. In the Holy Quran, Allah says in chapter 49, verse 14, Ya ayyuhan nasu inna khalaqnaakum min zakarin wa unsa wa ja'alnaakum shu'ubam wa qada'ila li ta'arafu inna akramakum indallahi atqaakum inna allaha alimun khabeer 
That is, O mankind, we have created you from a male and a female, and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes that you may recognize one another. Verily, the most honorable among you in the sight of Allah is he who is most righteous among you. Surely, Allah is all-knowing, all-aware. So, according to the Quran, Allah has made us into tribes, and, and the, the different tribes have different cultures, different ways of think, thinking, different behaviors, different cultural traits. In fact, the, the study of this uh, is called soci sociology, where uh, the cultural traits of uh, people are studied and looked into, and, 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 and different cultures have, diff have unique things about it. Uh, the Quran says that th these cultures are there, which are different, obviously, different people have different cultures, they're there to recognize one another. They're not there to create enmity or to cause uh, uh, some clash between civilizations, as, as sometimes it is said, even in the politics, in, in nowadays and politicians talk about the clash of civilizations. So this is not the purpose. Right? The Quran says that this, this is there so that we can recognize one another and of course this is not there to, have, uh, to become arrogant about one's culture or one's background. Uh, whether someone is from the Eastern culture or the Western culture, uh, this is not something that they should feel maybe some inferiority complex or superiority complex or whatever that is. Uh, these things are there to recognize one another and the real person who is elevated in the eyes of Allah is the one who is more righteous, according to this verse of the Holy Quran. But despite all of this, most of us are immigrants. We have come to this country and, uh, you know, there's a phenomenon called culture shock. So some young people, when, you, when they come to this country, they go through a culture shock. And in order to fit into this culture, they will have these strange, uh, for some people, they might quote unquote, strange hairstyles or strange way of wearing things clothes are different, all these things are different. In fact, I, when I was thinking about this, there are three things you can, uh, you can categorize. There's the Eastern culture, there is the Western culture, and there's also an Islam Ahmadiyya culture, if you think about it. Uh, of course, when it comes to de definitions, uh, this might be even more confusing. But if I can think about these things, the Western culture is there, obviously, they have uh, different things about them. Um, uh, for instance, if I could just give you an example before going to the question and answer, just to give you an idea, the uh, questioning authority, right? In, in the Eastern culture, uh, authority sh is normally not questioned, you know, um, uh, in most of them, at least. I mean, the whole world is now changing because the cultures are all mixing, but generally speaking, in the Eastern culture, if an elder makes a decision, for instance, that authority is not questioned. It's not questionable from an Eastern culture mindset. But in the Western culture, there is more question. There is, they want to ask, they want reason. Islam Ahmadiyya perspective, the Islam Ahmadiyya also has a culture. You know, in our Jamaat, when you come for Jamaat, you were in Jalsa today, you know, meeting each other, you know, or for Eid, after Eid or at Jalsa, we normally shake hands, we are hugging each other. That is just a very Islam Ahmadiyya context, right? And we have a Nizam and we have, we are like, like uh, Dr. Fahim Sahib was mentioning today, we have a, we're, we're, we act like a family, but a very, really big family. So that is a more Islam Ahmadiyya, at least in my perspective, that is a more Islam Ahmadiyya perspective. But enough on all these things, just to give you an idea, this is the thinking behind this uh, session today and the theme, um, as, as the panel has already been in introduced, we're going to have question and answers. 
there are two ways to ask questions. Uh, you can see the mics. Uh, you can sit in front of the mics if you have a question, and we can have a lineup, and then uh, I'll take uh, questions one by one. Also, we have a hashtag on Twitter. Uh, it's hashtag Jalsa Talks. Uh, if you have a question, you can take out your device right now and send us a question that is related to the theme of culture and religion. It's hashtag Jalsa Talks if you want to ask us a question on Twitter. Um, and uh, of course, if you want to ask a question right now, the, the mics are there. For our panels, for our panelists, I would like to request you to, when you take the question, to try and answer within two or three minutes so that we can cover more and more questions. It's a very brief session. Uh, so we, we want to cover as many questions as possible. So we'd like to ask you to try to wrap it up in two or three minutes. We'll give, the, we'll give, give everybody a minute before we start. On my left is Safan Choi Sahib. He's coordinating uh, the uh, Twitter questions, inshallah. Ladies can ask questions through uh, Twitter, or they can send us a note, note. and we can take that. That's and uh, Dr. Fahim Yunusab is also asking, anonymous questions are welcome. Anonymous questions are welcome. I think Twitter is a space they can, they can uh, send us anonymous questions. Or they can write, send some anonymous note. They can just write it on a piece of paper and send it to us. Or they can come on the mic and say, this question is from a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amir sir, we have a question ready. Okay. Uh, yes. Welcome, Shah Ramtala. The question Hadrani Sahib is asking is Are there any risks in cousin marriages? And if there are risks, are they more than the common risks which are there inherent in uh, marriages? Uh, I would recommend that a doctor answers this question. <laughs> <laughs> He's also a doctor, spiritual doctor. <laughs> the honest answer is yes, there are risks. But if there are repeated cousin marriages in the same, first you marry one cousin, then they, their children also marry. If you repeatedly marry within cousins, there are risks. The risks are typically in the range of four to six percent. The numbers will vary. But you also have risks if you have children later in life. So just to add perspective, nobody frowns at women having children at the age of 35, which is very common in the West today. If a woman has first child at the age of 35, her risk of birth defect is pretty much similar to the birth defect of a repeated cousin marriage. But nobody frowns on that. Ashkenazi Jews, they all marry within their own families and they have a higher risk, but nobody points that out. Cousin marriages in Islam is pointed out, I think there is a hypersensitivity to it. If Allah allows something, it has to be more beneficial than harmful. So to wrap it up, if you are just marrying randomly once a cousin without repeatedly doing that, I don't see there is any risk. Okay, Jazakumullah. Uh, I would like to ask a young person now. Are you, do you have a question? Yes. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, my name is Adnan Ahmed. And uh, my question is, a lot of time, 
uh, parents who are, will enforce something on us or restrict us from doing something uh, based on their culture, uh, even though Islam is okay with it. So in that case, uh, how should we react or repeat the question? The question is that sometimes uh, parents enforce things on their children and based on culture they might uh, ask uh, their son or daughter to do something. Uh, so how should a young person react when, when this is happening? If I can ask uh, Azhar and Sahib to answer this. How good are the mics? Do I have to bring it forward? Yes. Okay. It's better. Naturally, we talk about this idea of culture. It is a bit confusing from the definitions I'm hearing. Just to begin with, just an opening kind of remark. I'm wearing a cap that's from Indonesia, but I'm not Indonesian. My shoes are Italian, I'm not Italian. My suit is from England, I'm not British. My tie is from France, I'm not French. I eat food that's from India, Pakistan. All of these things we're talking about culture now, this is a whole different world we're living in than what we are perceiving. It is a, a global empire that everyone is part of now. There's so much mixing of what you say was, used to be East and West, it's all blended. I've gone to places that are far from America and I thought I was in America when I reached there. And I go places in America or England, I think I'm in Pakistan and India. <laughs> so we have to be careful about this idea. The Quran doesn't say there's anything wrong with any group practicing their values the way they want to express it. In food, fashion, fun and games. There's nothing wrong with that. The limit Quran puts on is on good and bad in terms of moral conduct. This is where we talk about Islamic culture. It's a religion talking about moral and spiritual values, not talking about what you eat, what you wear, how you work, these things. The moral value in Islam is to love God, and after that, the second person, the prophet said three times to love, next is mother. If your mother is telling you to do something that's not going against God, then the prophet said, follow her. She deserves your, your respect and your obedience. Because there was one companion who tried to say that, oh, my mother is this and that, and she's so irate and so all the time give me problems. And he said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Obey your mother. He said, no, no, you don't understand the message of God. She, she does this and does that. And she said, look, you can't repay your mother. He said, yes, I can. I'll tell you how. I carry her on my shoulders around the house of God and did tawaf and made her haji. He said, even then, you can never repay her for carrying you for nine months, bearing you when you were a young child, taking care of you all your whole life. How do you repay that? So she asked you one day, based on her own desire to do something, nothing stops us from doing it but ourselves. If she's asking you, or your father's asking you to do something against God and religion, yes, then you respectfully say to them, I believe this is incorrect based on God's command. There you have some wiggle room. Otherwise, respect and love them. And that's the Islamic culture. Jazakallah. Um, Assalamu alaikum. We will now move on to social media questions. Um, I would like to remind, as we're getting a lot of social media questions very rapidly, 
that we keep the questions on topic. Uh, again, I'll remind the topic is Eastern culture, Western culture, and Ahmadi culture, um, so we can get the most relevant answers. So we're going to do these uh, social media questions in a rapid-fire format. So hopefully we can get some very quick and pointed answers. Um, the first question is from at Calgary Bakfat Nal. And the question is, Assalamu Alaikum, question for Dr. Fahim Yunus Sahib. Based on your excellent speech today, is the use of marijuana allowed for medicinal purposes? Some, the answer is no. A man came to Hazrat Masim and said that you should use marijuana and it's good for diabetes that you have. And without going into details, the court will sound harsh from my words. And Masim declined that. Hazur recently said that some cough syrups that have too much alcohol, people use those. So again, short answer is no. I know the political answer is yes, I'm not a politician. Exactly. Maz Varaj Sahib on Twitter asks, what are the practical ways of saving oneself from indecency which exists in the Western culture? Quick answer, come to Jalsa <laughs> and come to Namaz after Jalsa. Be in the company of those who can inspire you to do good and keep away from those who will in, in, inspire you to do bad. Simple answer. Exactly. The next question is, um, why are women told to cover themselves and men told to control their gaze and not cover themselves um, when there could be lust on both sides? Uh, may I come to this question? Uh, the question is half uh, right. Uh, the question should be, why are women and men both asked to uh, guard their gaze and in addition the ladies are asked to cover themselves up. The reason is that men have to go about for earning for their ladies. So they would not be able to earn if they cover up. Men also have to cover up, right? You just can't walk around with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not that simple. Quick, quick point though, it is extremely inspirational for me to see my sisters making that public declaration of faith. So I totally see how it's hard, but all I can say is I have huge admiration for the courage that they're showing. I, and I have to be honest, I think some of our boys don't so, show equal courage. Jazakumullah. Uh, I don't have direct con connection. Someone uh, sent me a message that the live stream volume is a little low, so if I can ask the technical team to fix that. Next question, we are getting lots of questions actually. I don't know whether we <laughs> now whether we'll be able to go through them. Um, uh, this is a, t a little bit of a technical question from uh, Kareem Aziz Sahib. What is the rule in Ahmadiyyat for young ones marrying outside of Islam Ahmadiyyat? Uh, if one does, what is the reaction? The fatwa has already been given by Hazrat Masimur You, according to Quran, as a Muslim male, are allowed to marry Ahli Kitab outside of the faith. Woman is not. For the sake of protection of your own family unit, the woman is more influenced than a man. So if a man wants to marry out, he has to write permission to Hazur, even still. I want to marry out. Why? And this is critical, especially young men. 
Think about your sisters and those in your family who may be your daughters. Do to others what you want done to you. You want to take care of your sisters and the women in your life, then take care of someone else's sister or daughter or woman in their life. We don't adopt this principle. We start having an imbalance and our ladies are struggling because men are given what they think is an advantage and the women struggle and stay behind. So either way, the man must take permission, he should. The woman, she is not allowed to marry outside for good reasons, as I mentioned. I will take uh, one live question as well, because uh, we have to try to get through all these avenues. We're getting written questions. We're getting questions on Twitter. Uh, I'll take one live question, please. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. My name is Abdul Rahman. Uh, I'm originally from Mauritius. Uh, the question has uh, context is the, the intro of uh, Mona Saheb earlier when he talked about Pakistani culture, people who are here, and they find a clash with the Western culture. I want to bring a, another perspective on that, and it is the fact that sometimes the Pakistani culture find Ahmadis who come from other cultures, from Africa, from Mauritius, from Fiji, they are in some way pushed aside and their right, or at least the expectation of being uh, treated equally, they are a bit trampled upon. So it's a, it's a slight twist on, uh, on, on what you said earlier. And I also find that sometimes in our desire to stick close to Islam when we are doing translation, when on our website, in our communication on our website, to the outside world, it's in English, it's in French. We use jargon that is Ahmadiyya jargon. I would hear people speaking in English on MTA saying, uh, uh, the promise message, said this. So we seem to be, I think, uncaring or not conscious of the fact that if we are talking to the outside world, we need to be caring about this. The question is longer than the answer. <laughs> yes, sir. Arisa, if I can add, um, there's an anonymous question that adds to this, and it's that the, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat, why are people forced to wear Pakistani uh, culture dresses and not Arabic style or some other Muslim clothing? Why is that not? Uh, tolerated or allowed, uh, that ties in with what he's saying. Uh, nobody should force you to wear a Pakistani dress, period. That's not Islamic. I wore a beautiful African outfit at my U.S. Jalsa and every Pakistani came and congratulated me later. So unless I'm wrong, I don't think that is Islamic. Okay. Jazakumullah. Very short and sweet. Dress has no religion. Right. <laughs> Right. And that I is purely a part of culture that we can, we, 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 that's easy to negotiate in my humble opinion. I think it's also, uh, sometimes it's just maybe some people who behave that way, but uh, we cannot say, paint it with a broad brush, brush and say that the whole Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat is like that. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of tolerance, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Um, another very anonymous, so a little bit straightforward, what is the Jamaat's position on love marriage? 
Hazrat Hanif sir. I hope all marriages are based on love. <laughs> <laughs> and it will increase in well, inshallah. <laughs> Just to be real on that topic as well, and you were very real, Imam Sahib. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, the best example of love marriage is Aza Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Khadija. When somebody says that I'm in love, essentially they're saying that they understand what love truly is. And if you put a $5 bill here and a $100 bill over there, and you give me a choice and I pick up the $5, I'm not a man in love, I'm an idiot. Right? I just don't know economics. Where I'm going with this is, someone who understands love, they also need to understand the love of Allah. And if they're letting Allah's love go over some short-sighted infatuation, yeah, they feel very good today because that $5 bill is beautiful and you know, clean and crispy. But with time, they're going to realize that they picked up $5. A little, little longer answer. No one can control the human heart. That's why the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu said one prayer more than anything else. Ya muqallib al-qulub thabit qalbi ala deenik. Oh, the one who controls the heart, always keep it under control and inclined toward you. And that's why we just talk, all the questions we're talking about here, why to control your eyes and control your ears and control your contacts, you can't control this one. And then the issue comes love, and by that time it's too late, no need to ask me, I know what you're going to do. So control this one, and you're in a better chance of avoiding that question he just asked a few minutes ago. Jazakallah. Hmm. Next question is, uh, this one is uh, directed to Dr. Fahim Yunus Sahib. Deeds are, if deeds are judged by intentions, if someone hears of a pious uh, female and, and sees her and, and likes her, why can they not approach them directly? I don't think anyone says that you can or cannot approach someone directly. Instead of going into the detail, ultimately, if your intention is to marry someone, this is where, again, I think there's a deeper cultural issue. Why does that person feel the need to go directly, right? And in nine out of 10 chances, because they don't have a relationship with their own parents. They feel like they will be scolded. So all the fathers and mothers here, I really think this question should give us pause. Because if your child likes to marry someone in this society which is full of fornication, you have to be real. You know, in this society, zina is cheap and nikah is expensive. That's the reality. And if your son or daughter wants to marry, they should be able to come to you as a friend and you should be able to facilitate that. So really, I personally see a problem which is far deeper. I, I don't think you should have to go direct. If you're going direct, we, I have not done my job, we have done our, I'm, I'm very sorry that you have to do, even think that way. It, it bleeds my heart. Jazakallah. Uh, this next question is for Amir Saab. Um, according, to the, according to the culture here in the West, um, our representatives shake hands with ladies According to Islam, it is not permitted if you can shed some light. Why in this culture um, it is, is allowed or we don't? There is very clear guidance on this that men should not shake hands with ladies. Those office bearers or any volunteer shake hands with ladies are doing wrong. They shouldn't. 
Um, if you can just uh, uh, add a little bit to why not. Uh, because the Holy Prophet وسلم, has included it in the concept of parda. Parda is segregation of unrelated uh, males and females. And it is part of that uh, barrier uh, that uh, a man who is not a near relative should not touch a person of opposite gender. The reason is the same, the reason for parda. The next question is by a Twitter question from Mansoor Mirza Sahib. Uh, it's directed towards uh, uh, Azhar Hanif Sahib. Based on your experience, can you provide some solutions to bring non-active Jamaat members closer to Jamaat and if there are any cultural barriers that prevent people from that? Based on experience, the best way is to go meet that person where they are. Don't expect them to meet you where you are. And this is what I mentioned on Friday. You have to be able to go into the depths of the pit where a person is to pull them out. What we try to do is convince them or they're wrong and to do this and do that. Forget all that. Just make them a friend. It's the same thing in tabligh. You're trying to convert someone from one style of life to another, one thinking to another. You have to first befriend those people. Go to them. Hang around them. Find what they like and then get into their likes and then next thing you know you can move forward. That's our common experience. But the, you know, letters and calls, these things don't work. They're going to run further and further away. Jazak Make them friend first. Jazakumullah, I just wanted to request the next time when you answer, please come closer to the mic because there are a lot of people online and uh, they can't hear yes, That's uh, what I asked, is the mic picking up? It's the first question I asked. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I think in the hall they can, uh, they can understand. It's just the live stream. So that now I realize it's not so I'll pull it closer. Okay, Jazakallah. Um, uh, before I, I ask the next question, I would like to go to the live mic. Uh, please ask your question. Assalamu alaikum. We have seen that in the recent years, uh, the movement feminism, the feminist movement has picked up much popularity. My question is that if Ahmadis uh, affiliate themselves with such a movement, is it appropriate? I didn't understand the if question. If Ahmadis associate with themselves with what movement? With the feminist movement. Feminist movement. The question is about the feminist movement. Should Ahmadis associate themselves with that or not? As long as it's not Qudam doing it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's good and bad in all these groups. Find the good amongst them and try to influence them. Because probably in their life, they had a negative experience they got to become feminist. The reality is, we all come from these points of protest because we've had some experience that made us want to protest. And we have to figure out what that is and then correct it, give the antidote. Whether that is people who are angry based on, on, on race or religion or gender, or whatever the issue is. Find out what's ailing them and heal it. But don't cast them off the boat. Okay, Jazakallah. <laughs> um, <laughs> as long as it's not Qudam though. <laughs> or Ansar. <laughs> um, a question from Lajna uh, is that uh, when it comes to the Islamic veil, uh, when it, they have to cover the head, obviously, but when it comes to covering the face, 
is that a religious uh, instruction or is that a cultural trait uh, of covering the face? All these questions that go to interpretation of the faith, I strongly suggest that we simply follow what Hazasab says, what Khalifatul Masih says. That was a cultural term, I take it back. Uh, in this vein, just to make it short, when Khalifatul Masih says that you do this, my belief is that is a religious interpretation, not a cultural one. So this is a question Hazasab has answered repeatedly, and therefore that is our religious position. I understand it could be difficult and that's why I keep saying and there is a implied message for our boys. I think we have huge admiration for girls who in this Islamophobic environment have to go out and make a public declaration the moment they're ninth, 10th, 11th grade. I don't know the answer, but let me ask you a question. If you're a 20 year old boy, where is your public declaration of Islam? Beard is not, don't give me beard, don't give me topi. Keep thinking. Jazakumullah. Uh, in order to be fair, I have to try and get all the questions. So, uh, question from Lajna's side. Um, it's a long question, so I'll just try to uh, summarize it. Uh, she writes that uh, at times culture takes over the religion, even though it should not. Currently, even in our Jamaat, the Asian culture takes over in matters of marriage. The question is about marriage um, uh, and before marriage and after marriage. Uh, how maybe the, the boy and the girl want to have a simple wedding, but parents, because of their culture, they want to force uh, more expensive uh, things related to, they want to do more extravagant things. So I won't read the whole thing, but any comments uh, on, on this, uh, uh, how to deal with the, this, this situation? You know, again, if we, we have to be careful about culture. What is Arab culture? Is it the culture of the Holy Prophet Muhammad what is Indian culture? Is the culture of uh, Prophet Muhammad we're talking about? What is Pakistani culture? Is it, is it the culture of the Khalifa Masih? Because I'm talking an Indian, an Arab, and a Pakistani, and you would love to follow their ways. But the people of these countries all have different ways. And there are good cultural habits and bad cultural habits based on cultural principles. Same in America, same in Canada. Everything here in the West isn't good. And every Canadian, every American is not a good person just because they're not Eastern. Quran says we have to be able to distinguish between good and bad, sweet and bitter, and put the barrier in between. Do it for every place. A lot of times what we're doing, and this again is generalization, we're trying to say the whole marriage system of, of Asia is wrong because certain things. Not every Pakistani does it. I'm, I'm married to Pakistani. When I got married, I didn't have to drink that milk and put those crazy shoes on or what the money, that didn't happen. <laughs> because I had alhamdulillah a family that said, this is, not our, this is not our way. But I know some of my friends, they said, oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Depends on the person sometimes, not the culture. Okay, Jazakumullah. Uh, I will take your question since you have been standing, but just uh, for next question, uh, those who are here, I, I know you are waiting, uh, but don't stand until I ask you to ask a question, but please go ahead. Assalamualaikum. My name is Hussain Kazak from Montreal. From the history, you know that, first of all, based on the verse being recited at the very beginning, that Allah has created 
the people as male and female to get married and have progeny. From the odd part of the history, we found that the people in the, of Qawm Lut in Gomorrah and uh, the other village. Sodom. Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. That was has happening before Jesus Christ. And Pompeii in Italy, that has happened after Jesus Christ. So we have two eras where such odd thing has been happening. And both Bible, Quran, most probably other scriptures, they reject such acceptance of odd behavior. But today, the culture is not anymore, uh, let's say, Western here, but it's becoming overwhelming the whole world, accepting the LGBTs, accepting or trying to let us understand that transgenders also being accepted. So the question here, what will be the role from the medical perspective related to the Holy Quran? Because Quran forbids that the interaction between male and female, male and male and female and female, but it has to be in the opposite sexes. So now with the transgender, what happens? They are converting a male into female. Then this female gets married with a male, but she was a female and now another female. So you know better than me about such things, but Exactly, just the, get to the question. From the scientific point of view, this can be clarified. And again, can this be considered as a sin when a transgender is taking place and being married to the same gender? Thank oh, you very exactly. much. Hoping that if you can raise your voice, you got or you can the the LGBT issue, again, I don't, and, and the, you know, I'm a broken, faulted person, I could be wrong. But in my humble view, is not the burden of Islam Ahmadiyyat. This is the burden of the Western society because they've persecuted them for years, for decades. And now the pendulum is fixed, swinging the other way, which typically happens in a Western society. Islam doesn't promote killing or hurting them. Islam fully believes in their human rights. If you look at their asks, a lot of them are human rights issues. I want to visit my partner, whatever, whatever. So personally, as far as human rights are concerned, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih has also said that I only have love and compassion for everyone. You mentioned Quran. In my humble view, Quran specifically says the act is an abomination. It does not talk of the person. If you look at the verse, about the people of Lot, it says you do an act which is abomination. It does not say you are. Quran does not talk about the people. You know again, hate the sin, not the sinner. Actually Quran says that. To conclude my point, it's a sensitive topic, so I'll take another 60 seconds. And this is just for my younger brothers. As a person who's a work in progress, I have gained a lot of mileage out of this hadith that I'm going to share with you. Rasulullah says that it's in Behaki that Allah has put certain obligations on you. Always fulfill them. 
and Allah has put certain limits at you. Never cross them. And Allah has decided certain things to be unlawful for you. Never do them. Right? You got the all three obligations, limits, and haram stuff, right? And here is the most empowering, beautiful part. And then Rasulullah says, and then Allah is quiet about some matters. Not out of forgetfulness, but out of mercy for you. Never seek to discover them. Just ponder over that. It's such an empowering hadith. Because these are sometimes very peripheral issues. If you really look at the oneness of Allah and namaz and tawheed and being nice to your family, neighbors, if you really go down the list, these issues for a Muslim will probably come at 191. So Rasulullah is saying, if Allah has not talked about something specifically, it is not because Khuda forgot that. It's out of mercy for you. Don't seek to discover them. It's very empowering and, and I think it applies to a lot of these cultural issues that sometimes bother us. I think, uh, if I may, I just need to step in for a moment. Because this issue happened a few years ago when our government in the U.S. gave the right for the gay lesbian to marry. And at that point, some of our members got a little excited and they were praising this great rule and decision of our, our Supreme Court. And we're saying that this is a sign for us as well of love for all, hatred for none. <laughs> when that message reached our Khalifa, he said, what are you talking about? This is nothing to do with our motto of love for all, hatred for none. As Dr. Saab said, we never will love this behavior. We will never support this. We don't want a government to enact this law. But we won't walk out with our sticks and start marching through the town like the Taliban, searching the homes and beating and killing people because of what they're doing behind closed doors. When it's public, now it's my problem. When it's private, that's between you and God. But if it becomes public, we should never say, oh, yes, fine, great, human right. That is not the Islamic stance. It's clear. We condemn this behavior 100%. And no one should feel in their heart that it's okay. Because that's Western culture and we don't agree with it. So please, don't confuse these two issues. Jazakallah. Uh, the next question is from Alejna. Is it permissible for a newly wed girl to delay pregnancy, uh, especially if they have very difficult studies? If they have very difficult? Uh, study or like a postgraduate program that they may right. be in. I think it's a question of state, not church. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, there, there is uh, nothing wrong if they delay it uh, due to practical reasons uh, and uh, studies may be one such genuine reason. Jazakallah. Um, the next question was about, um, I'm paraphrasing a, a Twitter question. Um, uh, Directed to Fahim Yunus Sahib about uh, the use of marijuana. Can you speak about uh, how cigarettes and other things like shisha are halal? See, nothing is allowed. That's uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm usually worthless and useless, but I specifically feel useless right now. Those 30 minutes were a waste because I, I say this with love and compassion. Trust me, it's just making it light. I don't think Islam allows anything. 
every intoxicant. You can try any name, oxycodone, I forgot to mention there. You could try drugs, name it, whatever. Islam says, if you're going to lose your mind over it, that's the difference between a human and an animal. Allah has made us ashraful makhlukat, the best of the creation. Another thing about marijuana, 30 years ago a marijuana cigarette had 4% THC, the active compound in it. Today it's 12%. You don't know that, but that's the truth. So these drugs are becoming more and more potent, more and more harmful. So please make it very clear, hookah, shisha, smoking, whatever you name it, Islam does not support it. Are we uh, going between men and women or just rapid-fire men and then later on women will be rapid-fire complaining? Yeah, so that's, no, we're, we're, we're going back and forth. Okay. So the next is a Twitter uh, question from men and it comes from uh, Junaid Masood Saab who says, um, the guy sitting next to me is too shy to ask. So Jazakallah for writing for your friend. Um, what is the significance of circumcision and isn't putting oneself to pain a haram in Islam? Uh, did you understand the question? Yeah, yes. The significance of circumcision, this actually amazes you. That how did a man who never went to school, who couldn't read or write, Rasulullah came out so strongly in favor of a practice that does look traumatic on the surface. And then 1400 years later, medical research says that it decreases the risk of sexually transmitted diseases, decreases the risks of HIV, and as far as inflicting pain, wouldn't a shot of vaccine also inflict pain on the child, so don't vaccinate them for malaria or, I mean, polio or whatever. So this whole notion that this is somehow painful, I think blown out of proportion. Islam, again, these are the things that make me very proud of being a Muslim that my faith says something that is scientifically proven, lower chance of STDs, lower chance of viral infections, lower chance of HIV, and as far as the pain is concerned, you know, all of us are sitting here, we survived, it's all right. <laughs> my son can survive it too. For many, many generations, in fact. That's right. We're okay. The issue is hygiene. Everything that's mentioned in yep. hadith is all about hygiene. Yeah, absolutely. Whether that's cleaning certain parts of the body of hair and, and cleaning the teeth and all these things. It's all about keeping the body clean and Allah loves those who are pure. So the purity is the issue here. You want to maintain it and you want to spread purity to others as well. That's why you don't use your right hand for certain acts of cleanliness and then go on and say, Assalamu Alaikum. <laughs> That's the salam I don't want to say wa alaikum salam to. Jazakallah. Next question is from a legend. Is this thing being recorded? <laughs> <laughs> because we are not anonymous here in Mamsa. It's okay. It's all in hadith if you haven't read that section yet. It's all there. It's, it's not just being recorded, it's being live streamed worldwide. <laughs> I'm getting a letter from Azur tomorrow, I know. <laughs> So please pray for me. <laughs> uh, so, next, next is a Twitter question from Alejna, and she asks, are girl, uh, girls allowed to live in residency for university, especially if it is far away? Much in, much in, much in, much in. 
I remember that Sayyidina Hadhrifatul Masih Al-Tala bin Aslaziz in uh, one of question-answer sessions has answered this question that we should give more importance to uh, safeguard of uh, uh, the girl than her desire for higher education. If higher education can be achieved while keeping her uh, in safe environment, go for it. But if it is not, then don't uh, put her into harm's way. Jazakumullah ta'ala sanzila. A question again from Lajna side. Um, question is, why is it okay to have mixed gatherings in which men are allowed to be in there, but not women? Uh, for example, humanity first events. So why, why is the reasoning that men are there, but uh, women are not? We'll have to uh, call Dr. Aslam Daud Sahib to answer this question. <laughs> uh, the only difference between uh, the Jamaat events and an event where there are a large number of uh, uh, non-Muslims also gather, uh, we cannot force our guests our values. Uh, for example, you may have seen in Jalsa Salana, some non-Muslim, non-Ahmadi ladies come to the male side. We cannot uh, close our entrance to them on the plea that uh, we observe Parda. They are not under our moral discipline. They have their own understanding of their faith or their values. We don't like it, but we respect their choice. But as far as Ahmadi ladies are concerned, we hope that they would observe their values of uh, uh, their faith. They would not go to a mixed gathering. There are situations in our Tabli pro programs, and at that time, as far as the Jamaat is concerned, we arrange two separate areas, and uh, our ladies are on the lady side, but then some uh, guest ladies who are not Ahmadi Muslims, they sometimes come to the male side. Uh, there is no difference between Humanity First uh, event or Jamaat event. An event organized by the Jamaat and Humanity First should have adequate arrangement for Parda for Amati ladies. I will take a live question. We have members waiting for a long time. Yes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. My question is related to Parda as we have discussed it already. Personally, I was uh, born in Middle East, raised there, then I moved to Canada, and you know, by the grace of God, I've been, I've been, well, I've always been a born Amdi. So there's these, these three cultures, and we're constantly struggling with three different definitions throughout our lives. Now my question is, when it comes time for marriage, especially during Rishta, when your parents are arranging your marriage, now what, what are the expectations that an Amdi Muslim man should have from his future wife, one. And the second, I want to know, what, what weight does it have, either if the girl that you're speaking of says yes to Parda or no, or to the definition of it, what, sh what should it bear on your decision when you say yes or no to that rishta? Does Parda play an important role? Let's say if the girl says no, I don't observe Parda, is that okay for you? And she does everything else right. Is that okay for you to say no to such a match? Jazakallah. Nasab, you want to say anything? 
You know, there's all kind of levels of people in this world and you have to find your own compatibility. That's the best match. I don't know what that is for you or anyone. But if your compatibility is, I need to have a wife who's in Parda, don't marry one who's not. You'll have stress from day one. It'll only get worse. So whatever it is, be honest. The Quran says, Qulu qawlan sadida. Be honest from straight day one before you say yes. And that truthful basis will help you. Because then you come back to me again, or to Dr. Saab, or to Amir Saab, saying that now I want to break this thing off, and that's the worst day. So be honest, if this is what your issue is, express it clearly. I'm not saying you particularly. I want to make it clear, I'm happily married, because I, I want to go home tonight. Jazakallah. <laughs> and may he stay so, inshallah, huh? all of us. So this is the point, you know, whatever you're saying are your, your issue, sometimes the issue is that the wife should not go outside the home and work. And if she's such a woman that likes to be a domestic partner and remain in the home, then fine. But if she's saying to you, I want to have some liberalist, you know, to go out and pursue my career, then these are the issues that are the real issues that you should be honestly talking about. Now in the U.S., I think perhaps here as well, we have this counseling session before marriage takes place. And we try to cover these issues so they don't become problems later on. You need to do the same thing. Honestly, sincerely, before you say yes. That's not something you want to add because I know this is, this is a major issue that's causing the No, no, I think you're absolutely right that uh, compatibility is at the heart of it. And a lot of things, I was just sharing somebody, you know, Mother Masim al-Aslam has said this, that a child will be a child even if he's destined to be a prophet. You know, sometimes we forget how we were at the age of 18. Everybody thinks he was a Nabi, you know, they, they were not. There's a truth to it. So a lot of stuff happens in life with Allah's fuzzle, one step at a time. And Hazur recently, Masim al-Assam has also said, never give up on a person. I'm, I'm, I, I know that's not what you're saying, but sometimes that's how it comes across, that, you know, you're just too bad, you're not doing parda, or you are a drunk, you're just too bad. We sort of, in our mind, in our sentences, in our culture, we give up on people. And you know what? Every flower is going to bloom at its own time. Let them go with someone compatible. And you, know, you don't know, 10 years later, you know, they may be a waliullah. And there's ample quotations on that. That's exactly the empowering side of Islam Ahmadiyyat. You go to a law school because you don't know anything about law. If you're a lawyer, why would you go there, right? We become Ahmadis because we want to become better. If everybody's perfect, what's the point of this spiritual university? So, long story short, I think absolutely right. Let people marry who they're compatible with, but then also pray that they will grow, inshallah. Jazakumullah ta'ala sajab. One question we received is very specific um, along the lines of fiqh as well. Uh, that uh, in Jama'at uh, sometimes there is some tension um, or conflict you can say uh, some uh, have longer beards and some have shorter beards and some have um, uh, like to wear different kinds of caps um, and some like to wear trousers that are a bit high above the ankles so some comments on, on the, the, this cultural or religious behavior so in some countries, for instance, I went to one country, Malaysia, and there they said if you eat the hamburger, it's, ha it's haram. 
because <laughs> it's made from ham. <laughs> but, and don't eat the St. John's uh, fish because who is John? He's not a Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> but now you cross the border into Indonesia and everything's halal again. <laughs> so we shouldn't become so caught up. This is actually the attitude in Quran talks about the Bani Israel. We're so caught up in the minutia, they forgot the spirit. And Hazrat has been sent to us so we come back to the spirit and don't get caught up in those minute yeah. details that cause all this difference and, and, and conflict. And these are some of the ones that you're mentioning. I hope my beard is long enough to be Maldi. <laughs> <laughs> but let me know. It's, it's I was just going to say that you have three different beards and yeah, three yeah. different caps yes, right yes, here. Yes. So. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Um, what, uh, we received a few questions. I'm just trying to merge them now because uh, uh, we have limited time. Um, the, uh, questions from, from parents. Uh, so if a mother is there and she sees a chi her child uh, being influenced in the school, maybe the teacher is driving the child towards uh, atheism. Um, and uh, w what should a parent do? I mean, if the child is confused and uh, he or she is asking questions and parents don't always have the right answers, what advice is there for parents uh, how to deal with these cultural issues? I think the parents should uh, bring them to the mosque, to the Jamaat meetings, to Khuddam al Ahmadiyya programs, because these are the uh, things which are regularly discussed in these meetings. If that boy or girl is uh, in the programs of the Jamaat, uh, every now and then this subject, uh, existence of God, doubts about the existence of God are discussed. Even today, one of the uh, speeches was on this subject, proof of existence of God through acceptance of prayers. So if uh, uh, the boy or the girl are in Ahmadiyya atmosphere, uh, they would have a good opportunity of uh, enhancing their faith in existence of God. Jazakallah. Um, one of the questions that comes from Alajna is, what is the wisdom behind the grace period for widows or divorced women before they can remarry? It's actually an excellent consideration of human nature. And I know that here in the West, that uh, some of the countries have been giving the men also a grace period to take care of the newborn children like women because naturally at that time they need to focus their energy on that child. The same is true immediately after this period of, of a death or divorce the woman has gone through an emotional crisis. She needs time and that's the reality. Her nature demands time to recalibrate, reset and get the balance back. If not, that imbalanced and heightened state of emotions that are just pouring, you can't, you can't control that, causes her potentially to be fragile and taken advantage of, or perhaps to make decisions which are not in her best interest. Islam thus recognizes she should be given that period of freedom from these things until she finds the balance. And this is a real blessing of Islam to recognize human nature and allow the women to go through these periods without additional stress put upon them. 
So it's not you know, keep them, banish them, you know, take them away. This, this is not the point. It's for their benefit. Jazakallah. The next is a Twitter question from uh, Umar Sahi Sahab. And the question is, can it not be a good moral person without religion? Can you be a good expert doctor without going to medical school? Have you seen one? So I think, Quran says there are many ways, many paths to Allah. Can Allah reach you? Yes, Allah can reach you. But if there is a best, shortest path, why wouldn't you take it? I don't want to force it on anyone. I think it's a choice. And if the person wants to make a choice, go right ahead. It's GPS to GPS. I'll follow mine, you follow yours. And I think most people who will follow the shortest path are going to win. Jazakallah. Um, the next one is, is a question from Lejna. And it says, uh, why are we allowed to go out with our wives or sisters into public or society while they're doing proper parda? And when we come to Ahmadi or Jamaat events, we segregate based on gender. Why can't Ahmadi events be mixed if women and men do proper parda? Um, they preface, um, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, that during the time of Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, women and men uh, sometimes were together and, uh, and less segregated than Jamaat events. Okay, perhaps the questioner is refer referring to the practice during the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when men and uh, women were praying together in the, uh, in the mosque of the Prophet. Uh, the men would be in the front rows, then there would be a ray of children, and then the rear rows would be for the ladies. Perhaps they are referring to this. Uh, I do not know of any incidents in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, particularly during the later period when the whole of the basic rules of Sharia had been, uh, had been uh, given, that mixed gatherings were held uh, in the presence of the Holy Prophet This segregation that uh, men are in the front rows and then with this separation, the ladies are praying. This is a sort of uh, segregation. Uh, it can be with a wall, it can be with some distance, it could be with a row of children. So the segregation is there. The point is, which sort of segregation do we use? It depends upon the circumstances. Jazakallah. Um, the next question is, uh, what plans does Jamaat see for women in the coming years in terms of new roles or new positions in Jamaat? The same roles they've been playing for the last 14 centuries, I hope, inshallah. And that is one of the greatest roles that the women had ever in, been given in religion through the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu We all know that. I mean, I don't have to give more detail, but the struggle is not what role did it play? It's getting the rest of the ummah to agree to that role that we have been trying to teach them. This is what women should be given once again. The ummah has taken it away and caused people like Malala to become superstars and heroes and Nobel Prize winners because they have failed, not us. So we should st stick to what we're doing. For 14 centuries, it works. 
And women have dignity, they have capacity, they have all the abilities, nothing's been denied, and we know that in our Jamaat, alhamdulillah. So please continue what we're doing. Jazakallah. The, the next is a Twitter question from Lajna. Uh, can you shed some light on the concept of taqiyah? I had never heard about this concept in Jamaat, but now I'm seeing more and more Islamophobes frequently talk about this. This has come from your Twitter page. Yeah. Well, taqiyah, I did not even know about any other taqiyah than my pillow uh, <laughs> until I came to America, really, because that's a word we use in Urdu for pillow. That's, that's culture right there. Right? right? That's culture right there. I just explained, you know, looking at my African brother that that's an Urdu word for a pillow. But really, the, the Islamophobe made me go back in the books and look that this is in some Shia sects they have this understanding that you can hide the truth. Quran is totally against that and Islam is totally against that. Like this is such a blatant issue as if I would not defend, if somebody said you believe in two gods, to me that's just ridiculous. I'm not, it's not even worthy of a response. I think the, the word taqiyah should be explained. Some of our youth may not be understanding what is taqiyah. So taqiyah is a, some Shia sects believe that for maslihat, for under a certain situation, you can hide the truth or lie. And the Islamophobes have picked on that and they say, oh, you all Muslims believe in lying, so therefore how can we believe you? So they kind of try to trap you in a catch-22. Either you're a terrorist, and if you're not a terrorist, you're doing taqiyah, right? So you're lose-lose. And what do you do? You say, assalamu alaikum, peace. Move on and be the next Nobel laureate. It's not worth your time. I'm telling you, all this social media, I'm sure Imam Saab is going to cover it tomorrow in his speech. There is going to come, a time will come in your age. Inshallah, you mark my words as your big brother. Whichever social media you love today, whether it's Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, you're going to get sick and tired of it. And you're going to look back and say, I wish I could get those years back. It's that useless. So no more Twitter questions. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, you can use it for good purposes, of course. Okay. So the next question is, um, you know, in, in the Western society where there's an, often an open discussion about culture and religions in groups, whether at work or in school or study groups, can young Ahmadi girls do tabligh to young Ahmadi boys or men? Why would you preach to Amity boys? <laughs> they are already Amities. <laughs> you know, that's the joke. A man was on a train traveling from uh, some city all the way to Rabwa, and he was just sitting. He saw a man, and he started doing tabligh, tabligh, and a man was sitting quiet, listening, listening. And finally, you know, the, 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 the train stopped at Rabwa, and he saw the man get off. He was surprised. He said, where are you going? He says, I, I live here. <laughs> <laughs> he said, so why you didn't stop me? He said, I saw you enjoying to bleed so much, I don't want to stop you. <laughs> why? But again, listen to our Khalifa. He's given us all these answers. There's nothing new we're hearing today. Every one of these points, and he's saying men preach to men, women to women. It keeps the dialogue honest and avoids the traps. What trap? Shaitan. When a man and a woman are together, the third one with them is shaitan. This is how he begins to trap. So that husband has said to his wife, I'm going out to do tabligh to the neighbor downstairs. Who? Mrs. So-and-so? He said, no, no, don't do that. That's how you got to marry me. 
keep the barriers, okay? Don't use, as Dr. Sub says, the excuse, oh, it's online, it's this and that. It leads to all kinds of problems in our society, honestly. Our girls in the West are attacked by those, those predators online. And you're never safe from these predators. They're looking for you. So don't think it's so innocent I'm just throwing my name out here and talking to somebody. You never know. So protect yourself there as well, please. We are going to end this program in about 10 minutes. Uh, so any other questions on Twitter, please send it. And we'll try to filter and see which ones have been uh, not answered yet. And uh, we'll respond to those. Um, before I ask the next question, live question, uh, Maris, I I was thinking about um, my question. I, I ran through three different questions before coming here. So this is my third question, and I hope uh, it's good enough. Um, one of the places where culture and religion clash, um, especially in Pakistani culture, is when we get the phenomenon of lokya uh, kehenge. What will people say? Um, so I guess what is the proper religious response or the Islamic response to lokya kehenge? Yeah, this is a, again, I'm going to use a strong term. It's a low-level shirk. You know, wallahu bima ta'amaluna basir. Surely Allah watches you all the time. If you just thought about what will Allah say, things will be fine. But that link that we used to, that was, you know, the, the portal that was designed for God, now we have social media in that portal. Right, you know, or the way I used to, uh, human body is designed for connection. You know, we should be craving for a text message, for a message from Allah. But I'm craving from a message from someone else. So as long as we don't fix that portal, we'll continue to think, Lord, kya kahenge? Jazakumullah ta'ala, Sinza. The other side, please. My question is about, in regards to the rights of children in a family. How does a Muslim child stay or fulfill his rights to the obedience of his parents when he sees within his family his parents or one of their parents abusive, either emotionally, mentally, or, or uh, in other ways uh, abusive to either the other parent, whether it's the mother or the father, or children themselves? So, how can children who see this abuse be obedient and respect their parents. You want to say something? Um, by grace of Allah, members of the Jamaat have a channel which nobody else in the world has. If they are in such a situation, they should write to Sayyidina Hazrat Al-Masih in confidence. And I know many cases in which Huzoor advises us in confidence to do the uh, right uh, approach in such cases. So be very happy about it that we in Jamaate Ahmadiyya have someone who can help us resolve any situation we are facing. Um, one qu a question that has come uh, several times actually is uh, by uh, ladies, uh, they're asking, can a woman get a job or source of income and how would that work in the context of marriage, like 
what kind of influence the man has in the decision process. And the uh, related question was also if a woman has uh, younger children, uh, can she still work? Uh, what is the Islamic perspective on this issue? There's nothing that prevents a woman from working. The idea is she must fulfill her, her responsibilities as well though. You can't say, I want to work and go out and then the man comes home and the child is crying and needs a diaper change and the food is not cooked and he says, oh, that's, that's too bad, it's your, you know, your, problem, your problem now. We're, we're a partner here. We're a team, we're working together. So as I said earlier, these conversations are between husbands and wives, not really between missionaries and administrators and, and members. You have to figure out in your own home what works for you. There's, there's nothing in Islam that says you cannot do this. Your wife can't be educated, she can't be employed, she can't go out the home. If that were the case, no need for any garment. She's going to stay in the house four walls all the time, like they do in uh, some of these you know, Asian countries. Islam has said, you can go out. But don't go out and destroy your family in the process and create you know, uh, that imbalance in the home that will lead to a lot of stress. This is all. So these issues work out. No restriction, but those professions which are looked down upon, in which she's going to be engaged more so with you know, societies that she shouldn't be engaged with, same with men. Yes, there there's restrictions. She can't go out and do anything and everything, like a man can't go out and do, do everything. So this is the point. Uh, but work it out in a home. Don't please come here first for that one. She's allowed. How's a Khadija we talked about her earlier, what was she before she became the wife of the Holy Prophet Muhammad? Very successful businesswoman. Very successful. He should have told her first thing that, you know, your whole life has been sinful and wrong, but I'm going to marry you now and get you straight. He didn't do that. She began sharing her wealth with him from day one. He'll take it now. Right? His wife learned half the faith from her. She was so educated. So she was a source of teaching the Muslim Ummah as well. These are examples that are all before us. We forget them because again with the, you know, the male dominant Islamic history has come before our eyes. We pushed them in the, in the houses, pulled them out. Let them be part of us. In fact, we're cutting half of our, our life off if we do that. And we need that half to be complete as a Jamaat. So may Allah help us and guide us in all these issues. There are, um, I'm appreciating your struggles. I'm born and raised here in the same land like you. I spent almost seven years in Pakistan. I experienced both sides of the fence or the, both sides of the ocean. I recognize the challenge of leaving here and going to live for those years in the west, in the east. And likewise, I realize the challenge of those leaving there and coming here to live in the west. Cultural shock goes both ways. It's not just a one-way avenue. And if we meet somewhere in the middle, I think we can make it work. That's the real goal here. Everyone try to meet in that middle point. So. One day if I come here and I see it's all French-Canadian and you know, mostly the, the, the white European faces are Amity's and they're giving me croissants and everything else for my, my friend. I won't mind, alhamdulillah, serve it. <laughs> but I know you'll be standing outside complaining, oh, I've worked it down, 
<laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't get my lentils and my bread today. <laughs> it just keeps safety. Find the middle point. Serve roti and croissant. Everyone happy. Jazakallah. <laughs> this will be our last question. Um, the question is from Alajna. Why are women not allowed to be Qazi in a Qaza board? And the second part of the question is, why are women not better protected or safeguarded in Qaza board? Should there not be some women representatives or attorneys available to women when they uh, must present a personal or sensitive issue in front of men? I would answer the last part of the question first. Uh, women are allowed to have uh, other lady uh, companions who would be able to help them. Uh, we have received instructions from Sayyidina Hazrat Khibatul Masih Al-Talab bin Asraziz that to facilitate uh, this process for the ladies, there are some uh, ladies who have been appointed uh, in consultation with the Mukarma Sadr Sahib Al-Lajna that they would accompany such lady to the Qaza board. The first part uh, I refer it to our learned uh, companions. This is an issue where you have to have trust because I don't think any one of us would have asked this question. Why are you sending me to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and not to Khatul Khadija? You would have realized that in that person who was commissioned by Allah is the consideration of all, whether they're coming from a man, a woman, or a child. So if we have trust in our system that Allah appoints prophets and appoints people to take on a charge, a trust, then the issue doesn't come of gender. It remains the trust. Whether it's a man or woman, it was not the point. It was discharging this duty of justice to the people who come before you for judgment. And there are some judges who are women who are very unjust, I'm sure. Gender will not help her to be just. And there are some men are likewise. And our Jamaat system has been, from the very beginning, the men have been given the charge of this Jamaat to uphold this trust. God forbid we fail. When the Jews began to fail in their trust, what did God do to show them you failed? He produced a prophet from a woman without the agency of a man. That was the sign. The men failed the trust, so God gave them a sign that you have failed as men to take care of all. I'll show you how I can produce a, a, a man without you. So it's really more pressure on us to remain those people who uphold trust, who, are, who do things with justice, and look at the rights of all people. Then women will never complain. I don't think women were complaining about Prophet Muhammad or Hazrat Abu Bakr or Hazrat Omar, Hazrat Uthman, Hazrat Ali. They start complaining centuries later when men failed and forgot what they were supposed to do. And I hope now women will feel comfortable moving with us, our Khalifa, our Jamaat system, because they see it's correct and just. May Allah help us all. Amen. Jazakallah, especially to our esteemed panel for their incredibly insightful responses. Jazakallah for all of you for sitting and we hope that you found this session to be uh, as enjoyable and, and, and useful. We still have dozens of Twitter questions that are coming in, but unfortunately, in the interest of time, we will now have to conclude uh, this session. Uh, I would like to remind you 
And I hope you were as faith inspired that the Hajjid is at 4 a.m. tomorrow, which is at about five hours. So hopefully we'll see an equal sized crowd at the Hajjid as well. In conclusion, if I can request my esteemed panel to provide uh, just a few concluding remarks uh, in about a minute or so. Let me refer it to you. Huh? I'm the youngest, I'll go first. That's a cultural and an Islamic thing, by the way. I think I just want to tell, you know, assure you, we'll get there, inshallah. Like Imam Sab said, we feel your pain. Every nation has a trial. As we are talking, debating culture and religion, there are people in Algeria who cannot go out and say, I'm an Ahmadi Muslim. There's a cell phone owner in Pakistan who's being boycotted by all other people in the market. And he has to spend five years in Malaysia with five people in one room. The real stories. The people in Syria to whom the sound of bomb does not even scare them anymore. That's the perspective. Every nation has a trial. Look at that perspective, how bad you've got. You have a limited data plan. That's the biggest problem, right? I wish my dad had an unlimited data plan. Man, life would be easier. So inshallah, we understand. We're not trying to trivialize these things. But cultural things, this is a matter of two to three generations. If you want to drive from here to Vancouver, unless you know it's going to take you three days, every hour you'll be looking at the road signs. Am I there yet? Am I there yet? I don't want to lie to you. This is probably going to get solved in your children's generations. Or in their, that's just how life is, short of divine intervention. But once it gets solved, you will see, inshallah, our jalsas will look like mini hajj. Where nobody will be able to say which ethnicity is more. That's how it's going to look. And that's the day I hope that before I, you know, people say my dream, that is my dream. I wish Allah gives me enough life to see. Jalsa UK is already like that. But I wish that I could see a day like that where I could go to any random country and their jalsa in ethnicities look like a mini hajj. And inshallah, that's, there's no question it's going to happen. Hang in there. Stay, follow your khalifa. That's what you have that others don't. That's the conversation today in Harvards and Yales and top schools where all these top Muslim brains are. All these Muslims, 20-year-old youth, you know what they're talking about? One Islam, pan-Islam. Go there, go on their media, go talk to them. You have that. Don't let little things bother you. These are real issues. And when we make mistakes, we're sorry. We're not perfect people. Rabbana la tawakhizna in nasina wa akhtana. I will be the first one to say, sometimes we make mistakes. I'm very sorry for that. But our intent is good. Zakumullah, I request Azhar uh, Sahib to please lead us in a silent prayer so that uh, this uh, meeting is blessed. Things we have learned uh, may live with us for uh, long. And uh, may Allah uh, enable us to overcome the problems which have been mentioned. One companion asked the Holy Prophet Muhammad tell me something I can do that help that will benefit me. He told him when you go to bed at night, and we're all about to go to bed, recite Surah Al-Kafirun. This is a short surah, but he said this is one quarter of the Holy Quran, meaning its weight is so great. 
And it's this surah that tells us as Muslims to stand true to our moral and spiritual values. And don't be influenced. I will never worship what you worship. Never. And you cannot worship what I worship. It goes on. And I won't worship the things, the objects, the way you worship, and you don't do the way we'll, do, we'll worship. This is culture now. You have your way. You have your way. Deen is not just religion. Your whole way of life, you have it. I have my way too. This thought take to bed every night as far as possible. And then wake up the next day and see how Allah will help keep you on the spiritual path that he loves. And avoid the ones that he doesn't like. It's a prayer. It's a request. You have to do that. This discussion will never get you that far. But God will take you to the end, inshallah ta'ala. This is what our faith is. That's why we're here. Pray to Allah to help you through all these landmines we discussed earlier today. The issues that we didn't get to, that you'll face later on in life. You'll face no matter how old you are, where you're from. This is the issue. Tonight, try it and see if some more lights come on for you, and hopefully they will. Now let's join hands and pray. Amin. Allahumma amin. Amin. Jazakum Allah ta'ala. Jazakum.